0: Welcome to the Reed Connected Podcast, where brother and sister hosts Dr. Gerald Reed and myself Alexis Reed team up to discuss different facets of learning and well-being together and with other experts in the field. This podcast is about presenting ideas, concepts, strategies, and skills that are relevant to the primary topics of mental health, well-being, performance psychology, education, learning, and executive functioning. In this podcast, we aim to focus discussions through the lens of helping individuals determine best paths for themselves throughout the lifespan. In particular, we'll focus on three aspects of an individual's development, which are a secure self, feeling secure within oneself and life, a connected self, feeling connected with others and a larger purpose, and a strong self, feeling capable to efficiently navigate one's life and challenges all of which come together to become a guide for purposeful work and living. So who are we? Dr. Gerald Reed is a clinical psychologist in private practice in the Boston area, sport and performance psychologist. He's trained in neuropsychological assessments and is a professor, author, and songwriter. I myself am Alexis Reed, an educational therapist, executive function coach, educator, learning consultant, Speaker, author, and have a passion for universal design for learning, executive function, and social-emotional learning. Gerald and I have had the privilege of being educated and trained at premier institutions and work alongside incredible mentors and experts in our fields, whom we look forward to introducing you to through this podcast. In our private practices, we've worked diligently and thoughtfully, often collaboratively, to best support our patients and clients aiming to connect the dots from a more holistic perspective. Additionally, we're both grateful to work with dedicated educators and therapists, as well as those in training, to support them in their professional development journeys. We're committed to inspiring hope through learning here in this podcast, as we share similar messages across all that we do. Whether you're working to support others professionally, or a caregiver, learner, or just figuring things out for yourself, there'll be so much for you to explore along with us at Read Connected Podcast. However, please be advised that the content of this podcast is not intended to be a replacement for medical care, psychotherapy, or other services you may benefit from. Again, the purpose is to share concepts, ideas, strategies, and skills that you may consider relevant to you, and we encourage you to seek out your own professional support when needed and appropriate be it a psychotherapist, a counselor, medical doctor, tutor, executive function coach, performance consultant, whatever it may be, we hope you find it. We look forward to all the explorations we share together. Check the show notes for more information and episode takeaways. Subscribe to the podcast for future episodes. And you can follow us on Instagram at Read Connected Podcast and Twitter at Read Connected. R-E-I-D Connected. Thanks for coming along on this journey with us. And we offer that you be curious, be open, and be well. Welcome back. I'm here with my brother, Dr. Gerald Reed. I am Alexis Reed, and we're here to talk about a topic that frequently comes up, especially for me. I can't tell you how many times. I've gotten emails or calls or just people who stop me in passing and say, you know, somebody in my family or one of my close friends is really struggling and having a difficult time in their lives. And I think they would really benefit from therapy. Do you have any resources available to help them figure out what they might need and how it might be helpful? So today, Gerald and I thought it would be a good idea to have a discussion and, and maybe go through a couple questions that frequently come up to see if we can bring about some uh, insight and some ideas that might be helpful for the audience to hear, whether it's you who might be seeking out mental health treatment or even finding somebody to help with your executive function skills like the work that I do, or you know somebody else who might benefit from it, or if you're an educator and you're not sure how to broach that topic or conversation with either your students or their families, Hopefully some of um, this discussion today will help to elucidate some of the questions that you might have and help you get closer to finding the support either you need or those you serve might need and benefit from. So right out of the gates, Jared, you know... Why would somebody even seek out a therapist? What are some examples that might come up for somebody in their lives that they're like, this could be helpful? You know, what's the benefit of engaging in mental health therapy or clinical psychology or something along the lines of getting a therapist in play to help get through a difficult situation in your life?
1: Yeah, it's it's a good question. There's a lot of different areas of life that, number one, simply just could not be going well that's obviously subjective to a person's experience but you know the number one thing would be what part of life is not going well in, in their own mind and obviously if things are not going well you might want to address them some people are open to wanting to help some people not so much there could be different reasons for that therapy is about getting to know someone and understanding them and it's a very personal thing and you know as you mentioned people do have other people in their lives um, some some to different degrees, but whether it's family, friends, or significant others, or mentors, or so forth, and you know, sometimes people feel like they made sense of what they're going through in their own way with their own people and their own, you know, uh, support system. And, and sometimes people feel like that's not enough. And the thing about therapy is, it's a private, confidential situation where you can open up. And the hope is that people really take advantage of that. You know, you come to sessions and you can essentially, you know, let your filter down. And I've had patients tell me when they come meet with me is that they're not thinking about what what they're going to say, they're just going to say it. And that's a very freeing experience. You know, it takes some time for people to open up in that way. Some people jump right into it. Some people may not get there. They're just, you know, it's a hard process. And it just, you know, maybe they want to find a certain therapist that really fits their, their needs or their personality or so forth to get to that point. But, you know, the difference between a friend and a family member and a therapist in terms of talking about yourself is the therapist ideally is in a position to give you a space to say whatever you want and to know that you're not going to be judged for it, that you're going to have unconditionally positive regard from your therapist to to be supportive and to help. That doesn't mean that you don't question the patient to try to push them in different directions to think differently or to, you know, go in different directions and so forth. But it does mean that, you know, ultimately the the patient's well-being is the number one objective. It's the number one priority. And, you know, ideally therapists won't have, everyone is biased and therapists have their own biases because they're human. But, you know, the idea is to, you know, set a stage and set a a context in which bias is not going to come out because, you know, family members, significant others, friends, they, they have their own bias and they have their own experiences with you. And so certain patterns can play out in that relationship as well that could prevent people from really kind of being honest and open about certain things. They can be embarrassed to share certain things. Maybe conversations kind of reach a plateau in those relationships because you can't go deeper. Sometimes other people in your life just don't know how to help. And that's something that often comes up. People come to me and say, my family and friends, they just don't know how to help me anymore. And so therapy is a process that provides certain tools, certain concepts and theories to help people to understand how to ultimately make their life a little bit better than it is now and to work things out. There's a lot more that can go into that answer, but that's the initial thought that comes to my mind.
0: Yeah. I think it's so interesting because obviously there's a lot of talking involved in a therapeutic process, regardless of the background training or approach that's being taken in a therapeutic relationship, right? Is it just talking? Is it just about kind of sharing whatever comes up in a moment? Is there something more to it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question too, right? Because, you know, with family and friends, there, there may not be an underlying process that's guiding conversations, And as a therapist, you know, we're trained to have a process in mind about understanding and conceptualizing how did this person get to the place where things are not going well or why why are they under distress and what are some options for how they can work through that. And so a therapy session is, you know, there's an underlying process that the therapist should be attuned to or at least try to figure out what the best process is for that patient. And there's a structure to it. It's kind of a ritual every week. If that's the setup, one per week is typical. You come and you kind of go through that process together. You know, you don't get distracted the way that you can get distracted if you're talking to a friend or family and it's not rushed. I try to do my best to not rush people because things take time to process and to talk about. And there's consistency to it. And the relationship builds, obviously, the patient therapist relationship builds and, and, you know, you can kind of learn more as you go and to make sense of what the best approach is to help someone to make their life better, to be under distress less, and to really kind of reach their potential, whatever that might be for them.
0: You brought up such a good point of just really, truly being present in, in a moment rather than being distracted by other factors that might get involved. And I have to say, I don't know what your experience has been, but during COVID when we went completely virtual, even though my work is not around the mental health side of things, I'm more focused on executive function and learning, but shifting from being in person all the time for most of my sessions to being almost always virtual on the computer it was a different experience, right? Because we're in a different context in a different environment and we have to remain as present and open as possible in our sessions when we show up for the people we work with. And, and I really just valued the people that I was working with so much through that process and also appreciated... The amount of energy and resources that it takes to be so present and focused. We've been trained to show up and, and do our job and our work in a certain way, and and we were kind of asking these other individuals our clients and and your patients to show up in the same way that maybe they weren't used to. So I, I really appreciate that process. And even thinking now about when I'm working virtually, how much energy and how much engagement is really necessary. But I think it really is built on a foundation of trust, right? When you're working with another person to really trust and believe in that process. And like you said, the process might look different for different people and even different people at different times. And Just really trying to be in it and be open to whatever might come up because I'm sure in your work especially there might be some emotional moments or little things that might come up that might trigger somebody that might be actually what people are afraid of when they are considering whether or not to employ a therapist to help them through whatever they're going through in their lives. And I wonder if maybe it would be helpful to share an anecdote or a situation or something you might share with uh, the therapist in training that you work with as a professor to describe how you get through some of those difficult moments in a therapeutic relationship.
1: Yeah. um, You know, like you're kind of alluding to therapy is a place where sometimes the hard work has to happen you know it's kind of like that's your safe place to kind of do the work to uh, whether it's understand yourself in a different way to solve a problem that's really difficult to make a hard decision to resolve things from the past and to come to terms with things that have been plaguing you and to maybe change direction maybe accept yourself in a different way whatever it is these are examples um, and that's, these are deep things. And as you know, there's emotions that come with it because this is the deep process people are going through sometimes. And it's not just saying these words. Sometimes there's deep emotions that people have to feel to get to that point. And as you're saying, being present with them allows that emotional process to happen. And for me to kind of guide them to being able to reflect on things because to talk and to reflect on yourself. You know, in some ways, I'm kind of a scaffolding for that. I kind of have to sometimes ask questions or reflect back what they're saying, or maybe even ask them to elaborate on what they're saying. I think a lot of times we go through life, we're not really elaborating on what we really mean or what we really think or believe. We're just kind of saying things on a superficial level. And so my job is to kind of elicit that as people are trying to reflect on themselves, their life, their relationships, because... Things are deeper than the surface than we go through in our day-to-day experiences as we're distracted and busy and all that stuff. So therapy is really a place to slow things down. And my job is to do that in a calm way and to kind of help people to process things in a different way. Maybe think about things in a different perspective, find out what they need, um, as you're, you're always saying. What does the person need in their life? What are their conflicts? What are they grappling with? What are they um, anxious about, scared about? upset about all these things. And so that's, you know, that's for a lot of what my role is.
0: Yeah, it's such a great point. And I, knowing you, I can imagine how comfortable you aim to make people feel in those situations, because it does require a great amount of vulnerability to show up and say, hey, this hasn't been working. This is like my personality. This is how I've been doing things. These are people that have been in my world in my life, or a job that I've had, or a learning environment that I've been in, and it just isn't working. And to acknowledge that instead of just going through the motions, doing the same thing over and over again, getting a similar result, being able to press pause and step away and say, maybe there's a different approach to this. And I have to chime in and say that, you know, knowing how our brains develop and work, that if our prefrontal cortexes aren't fully developed or coming online due to some emotional interference or other things that might be happening in our world, it might be really difficult to be able to inhibit, press pause, take that evaluation of your life, and be cognitively flexible to say, wait, is there another path? Is there another approach? And what do I do next? And and I know that sometimes therapy can be very skill-based, very strategy-based, but In the work that I do, I try not to focus just on the tools and the strategies, but really think about like, what are the barriers? What are the things that are coming up to figure out how we navigate through, around, above, beyond, below, whatever the situation might be, to be able to really form some new habits instead of just getting past a moment that might feel difficult. So I wonder if you want to share anything about again, you know, I'm asking a similar question in a different way. Some of these big challenges that might come up and and how do you, and I'm sure your colleagues, other therapists help individuals navigate through these really big challenges, or is that even something you do as a therapist?
1: People tend to come to therapy when there's big things. You know, I would say most of the time things have really kind of gotten to a pretty dark or difficult place when people begin therapy that's not always the case some people are proactive and say hey you know i, I want to learn about myself a little bit more i want to try to you know got some issues here and there that i want to address unfortunately it's not always the case that people are proactive that it tends to be things things have really fallen apart that they're like I, I can't do this anymore i need someone to help and that kind of also speaks as you said to the vulnerability that sometimes people are just afraid to ask for help for, for many reasons and sometimes you know it's just the case that people are just uh struggling so much that they have no other options and they turn to a therapist and it turns out to be one of the best decisions they've ever made in their life so you know what does that process look like to make such a big decision well assessment is a big part of therapy so if i can kind of provide some structure here about the process of therapy the beginning is assessment uh, whether it's called an intake an assessment an initial meeting the therapist really wants to get to know you who you are there's different modalities to doing this, but at least from my experience, my approach is tell me who you are, tell me your story, you know, start from the beginning and until you got here, tell me what's important, tell me the major, you know, life events that you had and, and tell me what you're struggling with now, you know, help them to put it into words. Some, sometimes it's hard to even put things into words. Being able to put them into words is very therapeutic in and of itself. And my job is to kind of think to, you know, what could be contributing to what's happening right now and the issues or challenges or symptoms that they're experiencing. And to say, hey, let's look here and let's try to see what these factors play a role in. It could be anything from if you're thinking cognitively, what are some thinking patterns, some beliefs, some ways of perceiving experiences that are leading to what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. Uh, There could be life events that have been impactful that we can kind of look at and say, hey, how about this factor? How does that play a role in what's happening now? That could take time to understand. It could be relationship dynamics. It could be different kind of things that could happen within relationships, patterns that develop over time. It could be how the person sees themselves or kind of views the world. You know, what's their overarching philosophy of life? What's their beliefs about themselves? it could be you know different reinforcement patterns this is more behavioral if you're looking at theory how do people get reinforced for what's happening in their life the classic example is you know if a child's acting up are they acting up because they're maybe getting something out of that or are they just being you know a bad child and there could be times when the child's acting up because maybe they feel like they want or need something that they can't necessarily express or rationally talk about so they act up and maybe they get something for that
0: That's such a big one because this comes up so many times, especially when I'm working with educators and and caregivers, because they're like, oh, they're not doing their homework or they're not telling me the truth about completing X, Y, and Z task. And it's like, okay, well, what else is going on? Because every behavior tells some story, right? And often it's not the story that we hear, right? Sometimes there's other stuff that's going on below that. And like you and I have said many times before, and we said in our first episode that A lot of times we look at each individual we work with as, you know, somebody that we need to help them reveal their true selves through. And it's almost like we get to facilitate this beautiful process of helping them to figure out, you know, what's actually getting in the way, who are they becoming, what is most important to them as they're navigating through these daily life tasks and challenges and learning experiences across development, regardless of your age, and how to navigate different relationships too. It's so fascinating. So I really am glad that you pressed that point that a lot of times these behaviors have a milieu of different things that might be going on underneath the surface that don't always tell us exactly what we need to do and how to help each individual get through those moments or manage those big emotions that might come up.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And as a therapist, we want to try to put the pieces together because a person can see themselves very poorly. They can you know, have a lot of anger at or hatred at themselves or guilt or shame because sometimes people suffer and maybe they were mistreated or maybe they had some really hard circumstances. and. Something I try to send as a message is that your circumstances don't define who you are. And when they do, that's when trouble happens that I've seen at least. You know, you begin to identify with being the bad kid or identifying as having hatred towards people or whatever kind of negativity that could be manifested in one's identity. That's a downward slippery slope that does happen. And maybe it all started from something really bad that happened to the person or you know, something bad that just generally has been happening. Um, And so therapy is also a place to kind of help sustain people through hard times of their life, whether it's, you know, struggles in family that maybe there's no solution to it. And as much as the child tries to, or the person tries to solve the problems of their family, that maybe there is no clear solution. And part of that is kind of working through that, or just maybe different circumstances that they're going through or challenges. Things get hard, right? Life, sometimes you go through hard patches and therapy helps you to sustain yourself through them. Because a lot of times in life, as anyone would know, you can spiral pretty quickly. And then you have to kind of work backwards and say, like, how did this all happen? You know, we got to find out what the core of the problem is and kind of work backwards and rebuild your life. Um, And so if you can catch that early, that's a good thing. When people really kind of access support when they're going through a hard time and don't let things get worse than they need to be. And at least make them as good as they can be while you're going through it. And then if that's not the case, you know, it is what it is. You can kind of look back and learn from experiences and rebuild your life. Even if things did fall apart, you know, there's always hope. That's the one thing we want to instill in people. There's always hope. If we can do that, that's a that's an important thing.
0: I like to say the only failure that truly exists is one we don't learn from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially in school, but especially, and also in life. What you just said brought up another question for me in thinking, do you need a diagnosis to work with a therapist or to be in therapy?
1: It's a great question because I really haven't alluded to any of that yet. As we're talking, I'm kind of talking about more the process. This is, uh, formalities is insurance. So if you go to a therapist and you want to use your insurance to pay for the services, You have to have a diagnosis, okay? And so the therapist would have to go through the process of assessing you and your symptoms and to formalize what you meet criteria for in terms of diagnosis. It could be anything ranging from an adjustment disorder, which means you're having a distress in terms of an adjustment you're making in your life, to um, a depressive disorder, to an anxiety disorder, to mood disorders, to neurodevelopmental disorders. Whatever it is, you can kind of do your research into what these disorders are but in order to pay for services, you would need a diagnosis. That's a formality. And so the reason that there's diagnoses just for the public to understand is that it does a few things. It it kind of formalizes symptoms that a person who has a diagnosis has so that you can say, okay, this person, let's say has generalized anxiety disorder. That means they have a lot of worry that's hard to control that if you have another person that you work with who also has that diagnosis, it helps you to see commonalities between them so that you can treat them within the commonalities. So that's, that's a benefit of having a diagnosis is that allows you to have language for what the person's experiencing and also find commonalities between patients so that you can say, oh, you know, this person who has this um, diagnosis, I can treat them similarly because they have similar characteristics now the downside of that obviously is that it could prevent you from kind of looking at your patient as an individual to look at all the different factors and not just assume because they have a diagnosis that characterizes everything about them and all the reasons why they are experiencing what they're experiencing and my approach this is not for everybody but you know my approach is to try my best to understand the individual as much as possible rather than just Treating the diagnosis. And, you know, that's a bit of an art and a nuance to it. And we can kind of go into a whole nother podcast about that process.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And and in my work around educational therapy and executive function coaching, especially, a lot of people come to me with an ADHD or ADD diagnosis. But there's also this idea of complex ADHD too, which comes with a lot of, um, additional factors, which we'll talk more about in future episodes too, but really what it comes down to in my work, because I'm not a clinical psychologist, is I sit down with individual and I say, all right, I understand a lot of your journey and a lot of what you've been through up until this point, but what are we working on right here, right now, together? What are our goals that we want to move past? Because I have this brilliant opportunity to be able to work with individuals to help them even see past a diagnosis to be able to gain some control around their skills, thinking about how to do things differently, changing their approach and awareness to what comes up to them that might be getting in their way, which often, you know, this is the the wonderful part of you and I working so closely together and me working so closely with other therapists too, is that we get to kind of tease apart some of these behaviors that are coming up for individuals, right? Is the emotionality impacting their executive function and ability to do things in an efficient way, or is it vice versa, right? There's the what comes first, the chicken or egg kind of situation. But we really get to help to empower individuals to figure out what they need, what might be helpful, and what's not helpful, so that they can navigate through different experiences in different ways. So that's the great privilege that I feel I have to be able to work so closely with you, Jer, and to other therapists who I collaborate with for clients that we share. But also in in me understanding the therapeutic process, I'm going to just touch base on this for a second, not to go too deep into it. But similar to the education realm and the education field, mental health can be a little bit of alphabet soup, also with all the different <laughs> therapeutic processes that people might engage in from CBT to DBT to ACT and all these different acronyms that are out there. How does one know where to start if they are feeling like they need to gain some additional assistance through the therapeutic process and they're trying to find a good fit? I know that it's a very nuanced process, but I wonder if you can offer a little bit of advice to the audience as they might be beginning this process.
1: Yep. So one of the the easiest ways to do that, uh, the most straightforward would be to understand what ailments you're having a hard time with. So if it's depression, you would want to look at what does the research suggest are therapies for depression? And you can do a search on the internet and look for some reputable websites that will guide you. Um, There's even hospitals that, you know, have guidance for that um, if you want to look at the most reputable institutions in your state.
0: Yeah. I like to also talk to your PCP if you need a recommendation for something specific that's going on.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. And there's other websites like Effective Child Therapy for Child Therapy to look at. You know, they'll guide you on what are best practices for different conditions, whether it's anxiety, depression, ADHD, uh, behavior challenges, relationship challenges. And so there's been a a ton of research over many decades to see if you have these conditions, what treats it? And they would do different trials and studies to see, you know, if you do this treatment, how do people fare in comparison to either no treatment or other treatments? or a placebo or something like that. So that's one way to look at how to get help, how to determine what help you need. And so for depression, it might be cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy has been researched a lot across a lot of different conditions, and it kind of spans across a lot of conditions. In some ways it's kind of an overarching model from which other models have been kind of expanded. And so you want to look into that and get a sense of what the treatment is about. And you, you can do some research online about, you know, what is a typical course of cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavior therapy or interpersonal therapy for, you know, there's different therapies that are out there. And you do want to make sure that they're licensed, whether they're a psychologist, a social worker, mental health counselor, mental and family therapist, a psychiatrist or substance use counselor. And you want to make sure that they are using evidence-based practices. So that that's one way to look. And you know, the other thing to realize too is that you're going to be working with a therapist and the therapist is a human being. They're a person too. They've been trained. You want to look into, you know, how they've been trained, what type of approach they use. And to know that, you know, you want to find a good fit for that person because if you can be open with them and you can be collaborative with them, that that's a really important part. If you're motivated to make changes, if you're motivated to learn. Those are all common factors around which all therapies could be useful, having goals for yourself, being motivated, wanting to change, wanting to be open to learning, having strategies that you develop that can address aspects that are contributing to your ailments and so forth. So there are common factors that cut across all therapies. A big part of it is really just conceptualizing you know, what's happening to the person. And what's contributing to the ailments, and then addressing them, you know, one by one, because you really want to understand and conceptualize, and then address them, and through the modality in which you're using.
0: Yeah, thanks for that. And I know that we're going to provide some resources to also better kind of suss out what all that means. In terms of how to find the best fit, I say all the time to new people that I meet that I may or may not be a good fit for you, and I take no offense to that, right? It really is about finding the right person that is going to best understand you and meet you where you are at this point of your life when you're entering into this kind of therapeutic relationship, whatever it might be with uh, an executive function coach, with a uh, a psychologist, with a therapist, with a, a psychopharmacologist, whatever it is that you're looking for, really making sure that you find somebody you feel comfortable with and you trust, and that you can share all of the pieces of what's going on in your world so that they can best support and help you.
1: And I can give a little to make it more practical for the audience. Regardless of the therapy you're using, you're going to want to look at, okay, What are situations in which you feel triggered, in which you feel triggered being that it elicits some sort of strong emotion in you or a thought pattern? What are your patterns that you find yourself in? And how do you make sense of it? What kind of changes might you want to make, whether it's your thinking in terms of how you're interpreting things, in terms of how you relate with people? Maybe you need to develop some skills or strategies to deal with situations. That really does cut across a lot of different therapies, maybe not all of them, but it certainly is is part of it. And you can kind of think of more high level where you're teaching strategies and skills to deal with specific situations. And then other therapies go a bit deeper and they try to relate the past to the present. They try to look at kind of the meaning of why you're experiencing what you're feeling rather than look at it more uh, on surface level. So as an example, what's a secondary gain is someone's getting out of something like if they continue to have issues in a relationship what are they getting out of that that might be maintaining you know that pattern or you know what unresolved issues might they have from their past and it's kind of playing out in current or future experiences or relationships so sometimes things are deeper that depends on the therapist you're working with you want to find out is this a more psychodynamic oriented therapist which is on the deeper level trying to help people to gain insight about themselves to resolve their symptoms or is it more of a structured skills-based therapy, which is some of the CBT therapists are very structured and skills-based and they want to kind of get down to business about what's happening and you know how can you change your thought patterns, change your behavioral patterns so that you can feel better and have a more functioning life. And, and some are somewhere in the middle where you kind of you know reflect more about yourself, your values, what you care about, understanding your emotions on a, a clear level to regulate your emotions better. So you really want to ask questions. You can always contact the therapist It's like, hey, can we just have a conversation about your approach and what I'm getting into and learn about it? It's a process. You want to find the right fit and you want to understand what you're getting into and and keep the lines of communication open because that's what therapy is. If you can be collaborative and be open, the therapist is not always going to have all the answers for you, but that's okay. That's part of the process. You know, Your conceptualization can adapt and change as you get more information, as you learn more, as you both explore more. So Don't be afraid of that and don't feel like that that's something bad or that's something wrong if things have to evolve and adapt to learn more about what's going to be most helpful to you or about how to solve the problems that you have. Sometimes problems are are complex and they're not straightforward. And telling someone to just take a deep breath is not going to answer every problem that you have. So, you know, that's a process that you got to go through in therapy.
0: might get you through a moment, but it probably won't prevent that moment from coming up again and again, but you know, it's, it's really interesting. And I'm going to emphasize that if you have been in a therapeutic relationship before, and it hasn't gone as you expected, just to keep in mind that maybe you were not ready for it yet, or maybe it just wasn't a good fit. It doesn't mean that that should be the end of the road. If you're still feeling like there's still more work to be done and maybe there's a different approach to be taken. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, even in my work, we've had so-and-so many executive function coaches before, and you know they've given me a planner, but it hasn't worked. And sometimes the right timing for when you're more or less available to doing the work. And sometimes it's about finding the right fit for what you need at the point in your life that you're at. And that's okay too. Like I said before, I take no offense to if it's not a good fit, I rather have people that are seeking assistance and guidance and support to have what they need and get what they need. That's the most important thing. And really, truly being ready to show up for it because it's not always easy, though, especially with Jerry and myself, I think we try to make it as enjoyable and comfortable as possible, but I always joke, I'll make you do some hard work, but we'll have some fun while doing it. My work's a little different than Jerry's, but we try to really honor each individual in the process. And if you find the right therapist or coach or mentor guide, hopefully that's your experience too. There are many other questions that probably will come up and a few that I still have, but I'm gonna just ask two more real quick, Jerry, if you don't mind. One question that sometimes comes up too is, should other people be involved in my therapeutic process? What does that look like? Is that possible? How might that be helpful or not helpful?
1: Mm -hmm. So it depends on the patient. It depends on what they want in, in a lot of ways, because I'll give some examples for that. So I could be working with someone who's a young adult and they have issues within their family and so if they are over the age of 18 they're the ones providing consent to work with me it's nobody else so they're basically giving permission for me to work with them i have no permission to speak with anybody else unless they give me permission to speak with them so there could be times when the patient i'm working with says i don't want you to talk to my family i want this to just be between you and i and keep it confidential and i would say okay i have to honor that now there could be extreme situations where I would have to contact if there's safety concerns that we need to be cautious about, and that would be discussed with the patient first. But that's something that is up to the patient about what they feel comfortable with and what they want. And you know, sometimes that could evolve and change. You know, I could work with someone for some time and I can throw the idea out and say, hey, if I talk to your family, it might be helpful for me to help you as well. I can also help them maybe to understand you better which can open the lines of communication. It's often, it's not uncommon for me to work with someone where the lines of communication between the patient and their family or friends or significant others, whoever they're involved with in relationships is impaired. There's not really good lines of communication or understanding. There could be a lot of resentment or worry or anxiety or frustration that's built up because the communication has basically stalled and leading to assumptions and and all that. And so- I, sometimes I'm kind of the conduit of communication between my patient and the people in their lives.
0: Yeah, same here. Sometimes getting the family system or the relational system involved helps to reinforce good habits, right? And sometimes minimize some of the old habits that we're getting in the way.
1: Yeah, to, to your point before, we were talking about how sometimes people in one's life can not know how to help. And so, so for me to have a conversation is like, hey, here's what the person's going through. Here's some little things you might want to do that could be helpful, that can make a big difference. And so that communication can be helpful too. And Sometimes, you know, working with parents, parenting is probably one of the most difficult jobs there is in life. There's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of pressure attached to it on top of a parent living their own life. And so providing a space to support parents is useful. And sometimes the child can see how I can be useful to the parent and they allow me to do that to kind of support them and to help them with their parenting and and so forth.
0: And when you say child, it's not just young children. Oftentimes these are young adults or even adults that are sometimes trying to figure out how to get through situations. Right. Yeah. I think that's an important distinction.
1: And also for the child to kind of understand their parent as well. Yes. You know, that's a hard process as well to kind of understand your parent through a different lens than kind of the ideal version that we develop as we're a child that we kind of have to adapt to see our, you know, our parents as human beings as well, which is, you know, it goes both ways in some ways sometimes.
0: Oh, it's so interesting. Just as we figure out one person or one situation, sometimes they're evolving and changing too. So it's like a constant, super dynamic process. One final question, Jared, and I might be putting you on the spot with this, but if you had 30 seconds to tell somebody the benefits of therapy that might benefit from therapy, what would you say to them?
1: I would probably say it's your time and space to make it what you want in terms of addressing your life. And the same way, if you're an athlete, you have a coach and you kind of pull back from your game and you kind of game plan and you talk. It's kind of like taking a pause from life, as you said before, Lex, and you kind of separate and then you go back into the world. But you have time to digest you have time to reflect you have time to analyze you have time to strategize plan prepare role play you know whatever it is life is just way too fast and life has gotten faster and faster and to have a space to slow down and to really think more deeply and in a more therapeutic way about yourself and your life if you can get excited to learn about yourself i would say get excited to learn about yourself it's interesting to learn about yourself don't be ashamed about it. The more you can understand knowledge is power. The more you can understand yourself, the better you can relate with others, the better you can regulate yourself. You know why are you feeling the way you're feeling? All that stuff is is important and you got one life to live. So, it's never too late and it's never too early just get that process going. It's your time, your space. You got someone who's going to care about you, look out for you and talk to you in a way that hopefully is a positive experience for you, so give it a shot. I love
0: that. Thank you. And and as my clients call them, one of my greatest alexisisms is we can't always predict what's going to happen in life, but we can prepare. And I think that's a big part of the preparation. So thank
1: you for this. Thanks, Les. Great conversation.
0: Hopefully it is helpful to the audience out there to gain a little more insight into the therapeutic process, what may or may not be helpful. And I scattered a little bit of executive function coaching work and what that is along the way. Thank you again for joining us and we look forward to having you back for future episodes of Read Connected. Thanks for tuning in to the Read Connected podcast. Please remember that this is a podcast intended to educate and share ideas and is not a substitute for professional care that may be beneficial to you at different points of your life. If you're in need of support, please contact your primary care physician, educational institution, or support staff at your place of employment to seek out referrals for what may be most helpful for you. Ideas shared here have been shaped by many years of training, incredible mentors, research, evidence-based practices, and our work with individuals over the years, but is not intended to represent the opinions of those we work with or are affiliated with. The Reed Connected podcast is hosted by Alexis Reed and Dr. Gerald Reed, is produced by Lauren Biza. Our communications and marketing coordinator is Colin Failey. and original music is written and recorded by Gerald Reed. If you want to follow along on this journey with us, the Reed Connected podcast will be releasing a new episode every two weeks each season, so please subscribe for updates and notifications. And you can follow us on Instagram at Read Connected Podcast and Twitter at Read Connected r-e-i-d connected we're grateful for you joining us and look forward to future episodes in the meantime be curious be open be well